if we have an MRI that looks abnormal or your PSA is really high, we want to see if you have prostate cancer. We want to take little samples of tissue from the prostate. And so we can do that with essentially a needle that can take a tiny little core of tissue that's about a centimeter and a half long, very small, of the prostate. And the question is, how can we get to the prostate? Now, because it's kind of, if you were to go below the scrotum, it's like about inside about an inch or two. It's also just in front of the rectum. So there's kind of two ways of accessing it. One is that you can pass that needle through the wall of the rectum. So you put a like a needle guide and poke through the wall of the rectum into the prostate. And the other one is that you can actually pass the needle through the skin directly into the prostate. This is the Man Up Podcast, Doctor's Guide to Men's Health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists of the field on various topics in men's health. If you have questions that you are too afraid to ask, we have the answers. This week, our episode is titled, So You May Need to Get a Prostate Biopsy, Part 2. I'm Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. How's it going, bro? Kevin, uh, we're trying out this new setup. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I hope you guys like it. Yeah, I hope you guys like yeah. it. Um, trying to upgrade our stuff. It's it's interesting. It's fun. I think the, the technology is good. We're messing around with multiple cameras here. So hopefully uh, bringing a better experience to, to our listeners and, and our viewers. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, both our teams won this week, which is great. Hey, we one and one now, baby. It's a new season. Listen, new season. we're alive. <laughs> we're alive. It's not like I have to play the 49ers this week or anything and on a short <laughs> in, week. In, in, in a few days. In a few yeah. days. In a few days. Uh, it's going to be a disaster, but you know. Hey, but you guys came down from what? 21 points down with like two minutes left in the third quarter? Yeah. Pretty, pretty I good. mean, listen, it's the, probably the biggest comeback of Giants history, I believe. So I'm very happy with it and uh, I'll take it, you know. And, Sa- and Saquon's looking like he's not hurt for too long, just to just, just a little ankle sprain. sprain. So. I, I kind of hope they don't play him this week because we're going to get crushed. Just let him get healthy. I mean, there's just no yeah. value in it. But. Yeah. So, I mean, and you guys had a big win yesterday, even though your offense is non-existent, which is pretty nice. So as long as we score points on the defense, which is pretty reliable, I guess. TJ Watt (laughs) is probably the, him and Micah Parsons are probably the best players in the NFL right now. Yeah. They're insane. They're, they're different, different level of animals and beast, you know? Absolutely. So, but yeah, so today we're, uh, we're going to be talking part two of our prostate cancer special um, with Dr. Michael Adut. Um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed the, the first, you know, episode where we really discussed general things on prostate cancer, what the prostate is PSA. Uh, this episode, we're going to delve in a little bit more into the MRI of your prostate. We're going to be talking about prostate biopsies, the different kinds, um, and you know, the, the benefits of considering things like an MRI versus just not doing an MRI versus, you know, uh, transrectal ultrasound guided versus, you know, transperineal. So there's a lot of nuances when it comes to prostate cancer, prostate cancer screening, and, you know, testing to see if you have prostate cancer. It's a, it's an exciting time for, you know, well, you know, it's never great to be diagnosed with any sort of cancer, but, you know, for a patients who are now faced with that, it's, you know, first up, the workup has, has changed a lot, you know, probably yeah. about 25, 30 years ago, you'd be going straight for, for a biopsy. We wouldn't really 
kind of it, it'd almost be kind of blind in certain ways. You have the ultrasound to kind of guide, but you wouldn't really have a map. And nowadays, and that's why we're so fortunate to have Dr. Adu kind of join us because he kind of really um, was on a lot of these publications that discussed about how you could really use an MRI to properly, you know, figure out the anatomy, the the path, the, you know, the the landscape of your prostate. And it can kind of help us make sure we're not missing any disease or even make us make informed decisions of whether or not to biopsy to begin with, even though you may have fallen in the range previously uh, to have gotten a biopsy. So it, it is a, a time of change in, in very good ways. Yeah. And, it, and you know, we live in an area, era of more information is better. And, and this is kind of one of those situations where we want to get a good clinical picture of what's going on before we make a, you know, a big decision on, on your health, right? You know, surgery, radiation, other treatment options. There's, you know, obviously benefits in treating cancer, but there's also potential risks and compromises of your quality of life, um, which we've discussed before on this podcast and we will continue to discuss. But I think, you know, the key word when we're discussing all of this stuff is shared decision-making. And that's what really has changed with our guidelines, our urology guidelines when it comes to prostate cancer. Most of these things, um, you know, are a decision for you to be made with your healthcare provider because there are so many options. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, it's as much as we as doctors want to say we have the crystal ball to know exactly what's going to happen. We don't. And that's why it's, it's key that you mentioned that word shared decision making like, hey, look, this is with the information. I'm going to give it to you and try to give it to you as transparent as possible. But the more you know, and that's why listening to these episodes will do you well as someone who's getting screened, as well as a patient who may have prostate cancer, because the more you are informed, the better you are going to be able to make a decision for yourself or for your family about the next steps moving forward. Um, so, you know, it's uh, so much information packed into an episode. We, I, I, we have one more part after this that we'll talk more about uh, that will come in a couple of weeks where we discuss treatment options and, uh, you know, basically delve a little bit more into that. Yeah. Um, um, and then just one thing I think in, in terms of giving a idea of how dynamic this space is, you know, the AUA, our urology and American urology guidelines actually came out with an updated prostate cancer screening guides this year. And what, what previous ages were in their fifties and forties for like, we didn't recommend against screening in your, we recommended against screening in your forties. We're now talking about, you know, high risk patients. We're recommending 40 to 55, making a decision whether you want to screen for prostate cancer with a PSA. And then 45 through 50 is really when we're starting to say, Hey, now, like, let's get a baseline level. Let's see what it is. And we can, you know, follow the data and, and have a better understanding. And we don't give a strict age anymore because we are so reliant on this idea of shared decision-making. So, you know, this whole mentality has really shifted in the last few years, and it's really been reflected on the newest guidelines for the AUA. You know, it's interesting as, you know, maybe it's with the advance of technology and just maybe the more understanding we have it, but look, look at colonoscopies. Colonoscopies are being pushed up now to 45, right? I believe is the new age. So, you know, what was thought of as something that you'd start thinking more of in your 50s, like, oh, you know, I worry about prostate cancer in my 50s. I worry about colon cancer and getting screened for that in my 50s. Hey, look, the reality 
guys is that these things are starting to be pushed further because we're starting to find clinically significant disease. You know, we're not, we're not GI docs, but we know about this right. and like they're, uh, we're starting to see it more younger patients. So, you know, got to be educated, got to be informed and don't just put this off to the fifties, which we see a lot of patients do. They come in like, Hey, I'm in my fifties. I'm ready for my tune up because that's what we were used to for right. the longest time. Yeah. But and it's changing. It's changing. And, you know, Kevin, you're probably about six months away from being 45. So, <laughs> hey, hey, I still got, still got a couple, couple years, man. Still got a couple. I'm so good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's really it for this episode. You know, still September. It's Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. You know, like we said in the previous episode, um, you know, you probably know someone who has struggled or suffered or been diagnosed with prostate cancer, a friend, family member, um, maybe yourself. So, you know, it's, it's always a good time to be aware of this disease. It's, a, it's so, so common, more common than you would think. Um, but the important thing is if, if you acknowledge it, you screen and, you know, you get it treated, uh, it's a very, very curable disease. And, and most people will not die of prostate cancer as long as, you know, we're taking care of it. So, uh, so with that, I think we can move on to the episode as always. Uh, we always appreciate you guys downloading, subscribing, uh, to our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Amazon as well. Give us a review. Five stars is always appreciated. Um, we're really trying to push our YouTube. Obviously this is why we got all of this new camera work so that we, we look cooler and more approachable on, uh, I mean, I, we can only look so cool. So we have to pay to look right, cool right. by buying more camera work. But, um, so please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hopefully we'll, we're going to be working on some improvements there as well in the next, uh, coming months. Uh, but otherwise let's go enjoy the episode. As men's health specialists, we know guys are shaving their balls. Yeah, we examine a lot of you, so we literally see it, but we also have the data showing it, too. That's right. According to research, over 85% of men trim their pubes. Not only that, but research shows that over 70% of women prefer a partner with at least partially trimmed pubic hair. So, guys... We know you're trimming the hedges, and we know that most women prefer you manscape. So if you're going to shave your balls, why not use the best men's grooming kit around? We're talking about Manscaped. With the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 with their all-new skin-safe electric trimmer that protects your balls from getting those cuts we've all had in the past. You also get the Weed Whacker 2.0 for trimming your nose and ear hairs. And let me tell you guys, we all need to do a better job of this. Yep, that's right. Kevin and I both have the performance package, and we really love it. Manscaping has never been easier for us. So, and for our listeners, we have a special promotion. Go to manscaped.com and enter promo code MANUP and get 20% off your first purchase. Go get your Manscaped products today. Your balls and your partner will thank you. All right. So in our last episode with Dr. Adu, we, we talked a lot about the workup for prostate cancer, PSA, you know, and, and kind of understanding the nuances in the screening process. So now, you know, as we, you know, we've discussed next steps, you know, it's, it's determined, you know, that you need a biopsy. So let, let's talk about the prostate biopsy because that is a, a source of, you know, anxiety for a lot of patients. So, yeah. you know, Mike, talk to us about the prostate biopsy. Talk to us about the experience. Talk to talk about the types. You know, very general question. Yeah. All right. So, uh, generally, if we have an MRI looks abnormal or your PSA is really high, we want to see if you have prostate cancer. We want to take little samples of tissue from the prostate. 
And so we can do that with essentially uh, a needle that can take a tiny little core of tissue that's uh, about a centimeter and a half long, so very small, um, of the prostate. And the question is, how can we get to the prostate? Uh, because it's kind of uh, inside. Um, if you were to go below the scrotum, it's like about inside about an inch or two. Um, it's also just in front of the rectum. So there's kind of two ways of accessing it. One is that you can pass that needle through the wall of the rectum. So you put a like a needle guide and poke through the wall of the rectum into the prostate. And the other one is that you can actually pass the needle through the skin directly into the prostate. And so these have different terms. So when they go through the rectum, it's called a transrectal biopsy. When it goes through the skin of the perineum or the space below the scrotum, it's called a transperineal biopsy. And uh, these biopsies are very different and they've been kind of, uh, there's like a big change in which one is becoming uh, the gold standard kind of now. And more and more people are moving away from the transrectal biopsy to the transperineal biopsies. So, you know, I think that's a great, it's a really important point because, I, and can you just give us a breakdown of the risks and benefits of the two types of biopsies, just so our listeners understand, uh, you know, if they, if they have the opportunity to at least make a choice between the two? Yeah. So the reason why, everyone, why there's a push to move away from transrectal biopsies is that, as you can imagine, this needle is going through the rectal wall. So that needle gets contaminated by stool in the process or, or bacteria that's in the colon. And that's kind of unavoidable. And as the needle passes through, it can take bacteria with it and then introduce it into the bloodstream. So there's a risk of like pretty bad infections with a transrectal biopsy with around four to 5% of people uh, actually getting hospitalized after a prostate biopsy with an infection. Uh, and these infections are usually so bad that they need like IV antibiotics. So it can be quite a bad infection. These infections occasionally will be so severe that people can die from a prostate cancer or from a prostate biopsy. So there is a documented 0.5% chance of dying from a prostate biopsy with a transrectal approach. That's kind of insane, right? Like no one should ever <laughs> right. die from a biopsy. Yeah. Right. Um, so because of that, people are like, okay, how can we do these biopsies in a way where the infectious rate, infection rate is lower? And that's why people started moving out of the rectum and doing the biopsies through the skin. And so these transperineal prostate biopsies have a much lower risk of infection. And that risk is uh, about one-tenth. So it's instead of being 5%, it's about 0.5%. So it's way, way, way lower. And the severity of the infections is usually much less. Now, you're like, okay, how the hell are people getting so sick from these transperineal biopsies? And it's because uh, I believe most of these are probably just because of like sort of novices in this technique. So as you can imagine, if your rectum's like in a, like a line and your prostate's sitting on top and you're doing a biopsy and you're trying to get the bottom part of the prostate where it sits right on the rectum, you can unintentionally get some of these folds in the rectal wall as you go through, uh, mm -hmm. through the perineum. So if you're new at transperineal biopsies, uh, you can have occasionally very low rates, but occasionally get unlucky and, and graze the colon and cause an infection. So like this happened to someone I taught how to do prostate biopsies, went out on his own, did his first. He's like, I got an infection. The guy's sick. What the hell happened? And I'm like, all right, let's go over it. And I'm like, all right, clearly this appears to be what happened for you. Um, so uh, for infection risk, transperineal biopsy is much lower and most people are moving away from it. Also, since you're not putting a needle through the rectal wall, there's no risk of rectal bleeding. And if you're on something like a blood thinner, rectal bleeding can be very severe and even life-threatening if, uh, especially if people are on like real blood thinners, like ask, like uh, Plavix or something like that. 
so transrectal biopsies are really undesirable uh, it, for the rectal bleeding risk and for the infection risk. So what we do is we do these biopsies through the skin, the transperineal biopsies, and those have no rectal bleeding risk, much lower infection risk, and obviously as a result, much lower risk of uh, a serious complication. So, However, so my, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to cut in right here right now, just just yeah. for, for for a few points. So, look, Justin and I are general urologists, right? We're, we're general urologists. We specialize in other things, male fertility, sexual medicine, and such. And so, you know, we, we talked a little bit on the last episode about access to yeah to care, great point. right? Now, so would you agree with me that probably the majority of urologists right now still do transrectal ultra uh, over? Absolutely. Overwhelming. Overwhelmingly, Absolutely. right? In, in the community, it's almost all exclusively transrectal. Mm -hmm. And while, you know, and look, I, I've made it a thing. I want to come up to Cedars. I want to see you do it. I want to learn this technique because, yeah, there are definitely benefits Anytime. to it. But I think at the end, right, we, if you need to undergo a biopsy, you got to undergo a biopsy, right? Or understand the risks of it. And if that's, if you can only get a transrectal, you should still proceed. Yeah, you just, you should just be educated. Right, so the, the way that people can sort of die from a prostate biopsy is those people who feel sick after the biopsy and they're just like, oh, I'll just wait on it. Yeah. And then they're like, right, oh, I'll right just point. wait on it. I mean, I, I think your risk of dying from a prostate, can, prostate biopsy, excuse me, when you have access to your doctor and you are informed that, hey, if you get sick, you got to come to the hospital, is probably close to zero. Like, it, it's got to be very low. But it's that guy who's just like, oh, I just don't feel good. I've got a fever. I'll just wait it out. I'll just wait it right. out. And then they wait till like, you know, four days afterwards. The infection's horrible at this point. And yeah. then, you know, that that's that's the, where the risk is. The risk is from when something goes wrong, you don't ask for help. That's that's where the risk is. Yeah, I I, I think that's a great point. But I I, I do want to highlight what what Kevin says too because. You know, I don't want our listeners to be like, well, I can only, I'm only doing transperineal. And I've had a couple of situations where I've seen patients and I say, I need to do a biopsy. And they're like, well, I want to do transperineal. I was like, I can refer you to someone in the area because I'm in South Florida and there are people who do it. Um, however, I don't want someone to be like, I'm not doing it all. You know, the, the risk is inherently low. And we're talking here about comparative studies um, in general. A, a biopsy of your prostate while uncomfortable is safe. And obviously if it wasn't safe and the risks and benefits, uh, you know, have been around for years and years, we know that the, the benefits of doing the biopsy overwhelmingly are, are higher than, uh, the risks involved. And I, and I think we're, we're nitpicking here. So I do want to make sure that, you know, it is an important concept, but I do want our listeners to know that like, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of getting a transrectal biopsy, you know, especially if that's, you know, what you have access to. Yeah. So th this is where we need to be fair, right? So I hate when people are super dogmatic and saying, oh, this is way better than the other thing. Right. There are things you can do to make your transrectal biopsy risk much lower. You get a, uh, some doses of antibiotics right. before the biopsy reduces the risk. Um, you can do things like um, cleaning the needle between each passage of the needle. It can actually reduce the risk. Mm -hmm. You can put uh, betadine in the rectum before the uh, biopsy that reduces the risk. So there's a lot of things you could do to make that risk of an infection closer to like 2%. And that's been shown in multiple studies. So if you're going to do a transrectal biopsy, you just take some uh, risk mitigation steps and you can uh, enhance the uh, benefits in a way. And we should also take some time here to poo-poo on the transperineal biopsy because 
there's, there's, it, there are, there are downsides. So the average pain score for a trans uh, rectal biopsy is around a three out of 10. It says patients report how bad their pain was. And for a transperineal biopsy, it's about almost 3.5 out of 10. So it's a little bit more painful. And mm. mostly they say the pain is when you're getting the injection of the numbing medicine in the skin. Because, um, you know, the inside of your rectum doesn't have that many nerves. It doesn't right. actually, you don't feel it very much. I've done many transrectal biopsies in my career. And I've had people repeatedly say to me, oh, that really wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Like it's the almost overwhelmingly the most common uh, response I get at the end of the biopsy. Like, oh, doc, that really wasn't bad. Um, and so uh, there is a little bit more pain with the transperineal biopsy. Some people mitigate that by giving uh, their patients like a, a sedative, like a, a Valium or a Xanax that make them a little bit drowsy and take some of the edge off. Also, the uh, probe that's in your anus can, tends to be moved a little bit more. So we usually put an ultrasound probe in the rectum uh, in order to see the prostate. And then uh, those people who are doing MRI targeted biopsies often will use a special software to overlap the MRI image on top of the ultrasound. And so to do the transrectal biopsy, transperineal biopsy tends to be that that probe is moving around a little more. People tell me that they don't like that. And then <laughs> there are imagine. some downsides. Uh, and the downsides are the transperineal biopsy has a higher risk of urinary retention, meaning you're mm. unable to pee after the biopsy. And it's much higher with transperineal biopsy than transrectal biopsy. And if that happens, the treatment would be to have a catheter in for a few days until the inflammation settles down and then you can relax. So there are some things that are worse about transperineal biopsies. And also you'll have, you know, puncture sites on the skin uh, of the perineum, which you wouldn't have with a transrectal biopsy. And those can bleed a little too. Um, but the bleeding usually isn't that bad. You can even do transperineal biopsies with people on anticoagulation. And there's more growing evidence saying that that's actually safe to do. Very interesting. I mean, I think that's a really great summary for uh, the two biopsy types. Now, you are well-published and well-known really for the MRI and MRI-guided prostate Journal. biopsy, New England Journal of Medicine. Um, can you just give us a quick breakdown of the role, what an MRI, a prostate MRI is, what its role is in, in, in screening? Um, uh, start, let's start with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to shout out to uh, my ability to work on these projects was because I went to a really good fellowship. I worked with great people, uh, you know, Peter Pinto, uh, Brad Wood, uh, Dr. Choiki, um, like all these really uh, excellent doctors who created this work before I got there. I, I got there and I got to stand on the shoulders of giants and it helped me be, be a better doctor. So it's testament to the training systems and the opportunities that we get. But um, essentially what, what we used to do for prostate um, cancer detection is you get a PSA, PSA was, was elevated and then almost everybody would end up getting a biopsy. It was kind of just, it was like linear. PSA is elevated, get a biopsy next stage. But the ways that we do the biopsy is we put an ultrasound on the, on the prostate and kind of look at the prostate. And only really big prostate tumors are visible on ultrasound. But let's put it simply, ultrasound kind of, the, especially old school ultrasound, sucks at finding prostate cancer. But then in the late 90s, they're like, oh, wait, we have these newer magnets, these new stronger magnets on these MRIs. Maybe we can see prostate cancer with those. And they started doing MRIs and they're like, holy crap, we can see these prostate cancers. And so the field evolved. And now we're at this point where uh, prostate MRI can detect almost all prostate cancers. About 90% of prostate cancers are detectable on MRI. There's 10% that are too small or sometimes they're invisible to MRI for some reason, but more or less about 90% of them are visible, uh, at least clinically significant large tumors. 
are visible on MRI. So uh, what we do now is if someone has an elevated PSA, we often just kind of reflexively go to the next step as an MRI. Let's look at the gland, just like you would do with every other organ, right? Someone is suspected of having a kidney tumor. It's like, oh, let's get a scan. Oh, look, there's a tumor. Let's biopsy it if we want to or take it out. Same is true with the prostate. So elevated PSA, you get an MRI. Does the MRI find a tumor? Oh, it does. Okay. They give a score to say how likely that tumor is to be cancer or not. And then based on that score, you talk with your patient, hey, do you want to biopsy this? Yes or no? Okay. Risk is high enough for you that you want to biopsy it? All right, let's biopsy it. You would biopsy and find out what it is. So let's let's take just real, you know, very, you know, superficially just on the scoring system. So it, it's something called PIRADS. So, so what is it? And, you know, you know, what does each level mean? All right. So PIRADS is a prostate cancer imaging scoring system. It stands for like, prostate imaging, radiology assessment, diagnostic score, something along those lines. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a scoring system from one to five that tells you uh, how abnormal a finding is in the prostate and how likely it is to correlate with prostate cancer. And so a score of one means your prostate's normal, two means it's very unlikely there's prostate cancer, um, three means it's moderate risk, four is above average risk, and five is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is prostate cancer, more or less. Um, and so there's a few publications that give numbers to each of these scores. Again, I have a video on this on the Cancer Better page on YouTube, but uh, simply put, um, usually for like a MRI that's a score of one, your risk of prostate cancer is about 10%. If, if you have one of those MRI invisible lesions and a really high PSA, about 10% chance that it might be something invisible. We usually don't biopsy these people. With a uh, PIRAD score of two, the literature is varied, but anywhere from 15 to 25% chance that there's a prostate cancer um, I, some people biopsy these people, some people don't, I do it on a, uh, risk adjusted basis. I can basically talk with people three, it's like 35%, four, around 50%. And then, uh, for a five, it's around 80% to 90% based on who does the MRI, who's doing the biopsy, the quality of the read, all that kind of stuff. But there's some variability, but it's pretty high. So if you have like a Pyrex five likelihood of there being prostate cancer is, you know, at least four out of five people, 80%. It's a great way of breaking it down. Um, now I know we're going to have a whole episode, uh, for, for, you know, going from, for prostate biopsy and going from there to treatment and explaining pathology. But one final question, you know, sometimes the MRI, like you said, between the MRI and the PSA, there are, there's, it's, it's very nuanced. We've, that, that's the, if, if anyone can learn one thing today is the screening process, understanding PSA and when to biopsy, when to explore these things is incredibly nuanced. Are there other tests that you frequently use in addition to the PSA or the MRI that you feel help uh, provide you with insight or things that other patients should ever ask their doctors about in consideration if they're very hesitant to get a biopsy, if they don't want to get an MRI or the MRI is kind of, uh, you're unsure based off of the PIRAD score, what other options are there for screening tools um, for, for patients out there? There, there's a lot of them actually, like a lot. I know. <laughs> so so summarize a couple, but don't go crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's blood-based tests. There's urine-based tests, uh, simply. Um, and so some of the blood-based tests are like a 4K score, an ISO PSA, a PSA3. You can do a free PSA. You can calculate a PSA density. Uh, and there's a couple more that are still hitting the market. Right. Uh, there's some urinary-based tests. And uh, they're all... Okay, um, <laughs> they're they're better than a PSA universally. Um, they're all pretty okay. Uh, they 
so far have lower accuracy, diagnostic accuracy, all that than an MRI. So I don't use them basically at all. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a outlier in that, um, in that uh, I think a lot of people do use these because they are not oftentimes as comfortable with MRI. So like, for example, interpreting a prostate MRI is not super easy and it's not something that a lot of people routinely do. So like I, for example, every year do a lecture with our residents where I teach them how to read prostate MRI. And it takes them a few years to get good at it. So like really be like, oh it's yeah, hard. I can see it. Yeah. And so like every time I do a case with them, I'm like, all right, pull up the scan, show me where the tumor is. What's your plan? Is it growing outside of the prostate? Is it not? Do we have to like, where do we have to be safe? Where, where can we not be like, where can we go close? Um, and I, I challenge them to try to read these things. And it's not really usually until they're like their fifth year of residency right. that they're pretty consistently reliable at doing this. And I had nobody teach me how to do this. I was lucky that in fellowship, I went and I sat with the radiologist. I'm like, dude, teach me how to do this. He's like, you can just sit and watch me do it. I'm not going to set my set aside time <laughs> to teach you. And I'm like, all right, fine. So I went there and I sat and you saw I was invested in really learning how to do it. And he's like, okay, you see this? See, this is what I'm doing here. And then I learned how he set up his screen. I learned how he looked at this scan and this sequence and he compares them. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then after a while, he kind of like softened to me and he started teaching me. And I'm like, okay, cool. I get it. And then I end up being like one of the few urologists practically who's like, looks at an MRI comfortably. That's actually an yeah, I'm a bit of an outlier because the average urologist didn't have this training in residency it's because it's right. so new, right. right? Like I, I didn't get in residency. We, we shoot the, the guys who trained us. Um, they don't routinely even get MRIs actually not all the time because insurance companies still fight with them so much that they're just like, geez, I don't want to do this fight. And they, even though the evidence is overwhelming that it's better. They're just like, okay, well, let's see if we can kind of get this done without having a fight with insurance. And then they go down there. And it's not to not to throw shade. I, I respect a lot of those doctors very well, very much. I've seen them operate. Some of them are actually in the country, some of the best people I've seen operate. Um, but there just are logistical burdens to getting these MRIs. And uh, yeah, it's it's that's a, that's a good point. And I and I want our listeners to know that, like, you know, while the evidence is there for like MRIs, it's still not. You know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. It's it's not standard of care, right? It's not in like well, a guy. It's not like in the guidelines. So a lot of insurance companies will fight you, will fight the physician. Like we are trying to order this, get it covered for you, because it's going to give us very helpful information to again understand the nuance of if you have prostate cancer or what to do. And you know, a lot of times insurance companies will deny it because they don't see it. it's guideline based. Even all those other tests like 4K, those those could be you know, costs that you're going to have to incur, right? Because they're not guideline based. So, yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, we see this also access, right? Like we're all in major cities and not everyone may have access to an MRI is one of the, the other concerns that I heard with why there was discussions and not making it in the guidelines, uh, you know, a yeah. standard of care just because of pure access points. And then we're not able to provide standard of care across the country. So like, you know, there are other things to consider, unfortunately, but if I can get an MRI, I'm a thousand percent getting an MRI on, on all my patients. Yeah. So, I mean, basically the, the guidelines, this would be, this would be frank about it. These uh, urologic association guidelines, they want to support the urologist in a way, but they also want to advance the care. So if they go around and they just say blanket statement, everyone needs to get an MRI before a biopsy, then the people who one don't know how to do MRI targeted biopsy, don't know how to interpret MRI, like the kind of the old generation, you're now alienating them. They're going to be pissed. 
So the guideline statements basically come out, or if you're in an area that doesn't have access to an MRI, they come out and they just say, hey, um, MRI should be used when available, instead of just saying like, you should use an MRI, blanket statement. And then the insurance companies look at that and they go, well, the guidelines say it's an option. You know, you don't have to do it, it's optional. And then we're like, okay. So then they come back at us and then we have to fight with them. And then you end up sending, the, the trouble is that, like for me, this is a topic that I am entrenched in, right? I have all these, literally in front of me, I could pull up all the papers to reference why is this superior? And I'm an author on some, on many of them. And I can be like, hey guys, this is ridiculous. This is the literature. And I'll just flood them with papers. And then they go, ooh, we should not fight with this guy. Like this isn't worth <laughs> it. Um, but, uh, but it's annoying, right? Cause that takes time. I have to have a separate document. I've gone through that, create a, a letter and like fight with them. It's just like, guys, I, like why am I, having to convince a primary care doctor who's never treated prostate cancer of my decision choices when I'm an expert in this field. But anyway, Absolutely. that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, but if you're like a high volume guy who's super busy and, and you aren't entrenched in this literature, writing papers in this, going through the process of finding the literature, sourcing it, writing a document, giving reference, this is like a several hour long process. And then you got to do that multiple times. Like it's kind it's of delay care. It's going to delay a lot crazy. of stuff. Yeah. So and it's not like the insurance company pays you for the time. No, it just, it's just lost time. Yeah. yeah. So the real question is, you know, for you and there's no one better to a- answer this than you is, you know, does getting the prostate MRI help improve prostate cancer detection in a biopsy? Dramatically. Um, one word dramatically. So uh, let me give you some context and some data around it. So before, um, before we had MRI targeting, we would just do biopsies where we divide the prostate into a grid uh, of 12 equal segments and then just biopsy one segment of the grid, not really knowing for sure where the cancer is. And that kind of biopsy technique would miss prostate cancer when it was present about a third of the time. It would miss stage the prostate cancer also about a third of the time. Meaning like, oh, hey, we found grade group one prostate cancer. The prostate cancer that nowadays we say don't even treat, but one in three chance that it's actually worse than that. No wonder doctors and were like, well, let's just take your prostate out because I'm not sure. I don't want to risk you dying from prostate cancer, even though the biopsy said it's not something to worry about. So, you know, there, it, no surprise in the 90s, everyone with grade group one was getting their prostate removed. But now with MRI targeted biopsy, the risk of uh, this upstaging uh, where you're kind of off, you're completely unsure of what the cancer, if there's cancer or not, it's down to 7%. It's way, way lower. Uh, so now you can say with more certainty whether that your biopsy is accurate. And when you're confident that your biopsy is accurate, then you can just, you can be like, okay, you got grade group one prostate cancer. I think that's accurate to be doubly sure. We'll probably rebiopsy again in a year just to be completely, completely sure that this is nothing worse, but I feel comfortable watching you because the odds of me being wrong are actually pretty low, you know? (laughs) So, um, basically uh, there, it's still an imperfect technology, right? You, you still do miss some cancers, but that rate of miss is somewhere around 7% instead of 30 to 40%, which has been documented many times in the literature prior. So I want to, uh, I want to interject with a kind of question that's kind of, you know, a little bit on a tangent, but so there are certain areas that you can't access MRI fusion prostate biopsy technology, right? Yeah. Now, but but there was there is a term out there which is known as cognitive fusion prostate. Yes, biopsy. I was so, going to ask this too. So, Mike, in your, Dr. Dew, in your in your opinion, you know, 
you know, should we still be getting MRIs before, even if we can't get access to MRI fusion because uh, we can do cognitive fusion prostate biopsy? Yeah, so Mike's totally cool. Don't worry about it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's the only the, way I know you, man. <laughs> uh, so, so it 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 so there's data that looks at cognitive fusion. That's where the doctor looks at the MRI and they say, "Oh, the prostate cancer is on this side in this area. I'm going to try to using my brain try to target, target. that area." Yeah, and then there's um, the other way, which is using software guided, where you basically have the software put a little bullet on where you need to, or a little target on where you need to go. You line up your needle to target and make it kind of idiot proof. The data shows that uh, they are basically almost equivalent. Wow. There's almost no difference. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, now you should understand that this, these studies are done by people who probably have a lot of experience yeah. doing targeted biopsies. <laughs> That's a fair point, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I look at the, uh, the software as your training wheels. It's good to have the software and those are your training wheels on your bicycle. They teach you how to do it. You get your, you get your, your, your feet under you. But like, you know, I, I train a lot of residents. I would not bet a, a single dollar on them coming in their first day and being able to do a cognitive biopsy well, right? right? By the time they graduate, yeah, these kids are smart. We have fantastic residents here, they learn no doubt that it can do it. But those training wheels in the beginning are very helpful. So uh, your question is, if you're in a rural area, should you get an MRI first? Yeah, but you need to assess two things. Like one, ask your doc, hey, are you comfortable with MRIs and MRI targeted biopsy? Like, do you know how to look at an MRI and tell me where the lesion is? Or do you even have a system where like, you know, maybe the radiologist, maybe you're not that good at finding it, but the radiologist will draw a circle around the prostate, draw a circle around the tumor, and then you can be like, oh, there it is. And you're like, okay, I can, I can get that. Some people will, like, especially like young guys like you, I have no doubt that that would be easy. Um, but sometimes you get people who just won't be comfortable with it. And ideally, if you ask the doctor, they'll be like, look, I don't do MRI target biopsy. Most doctors are like that. Most are actually pretty nice, caring people who are just trying to do their best with the resources they have. And if you bring up a question like, hey, I read about this kind of biopsy, what do you think? And they're like, you know, Oh, that's terrible. Don't do that. Okay. That maybe is not the, or that's all hogwash. Eh, maybe not the best. That, that's an outlier doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, the guy who's like, look, you know, I, I, I understand that's better. This is why I'm doing this. We have these limitations or, um, you know, we can absolutely order an MRI for you. Or maybe you could try going to this guy. Cause I know this guy does it. If you want to have that sort of optimized approach. Yeah. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, they're, they're a, it's similar. interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, the truth is not everyone has the fusion machine. And uh, I think that, you know, uh, once again, we're all in, in major cities, but um, the fusion machine is expensive. It's it's not the easiest machine for a lot of people to get. So I think that cognitive MRI, which knowing the data now that you can hear is, you know, going doing that cognitive, you know, biopsy really is okay right you shouldn't be you should yeah. you know obviously it's something to it's good to ask and good to understand but you know that's something that the data shows it still increases your detection rate which is great yeah, so look i actually wrote a paper on when the software fails and uh it, it sometimes fails even with mri targeted biopsy uh because of the uh because of the software system and you just didn't do a good enough job and even in expert hands, which is where that paper's data came from, 
we found that about a third of the misses were due to uh, user error. Um, so when we talked about like uh, the 7% chance that the biopsy uh, missed stages, of those, about 3% of them, or of those 7%, half of them were of potentially dangerous cancer. So about 3% chance that you missed like a really, really dangerous cancer with this targeted biopsy. And of those 3%, uh, one third of them were uh, because of the user error. Like they didn't line everything up just perfectly when they're using we're human. software. We're so, human too, man. Yeah. We're human too. So we need yeah, chat so. GPT to do process. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's, a, there's a company that's trying to make a robotic biopsy system where it does it all. And kind Is of that Jonathan Katz? Is he listening? Is that... <laughs> Shout out, Johnny. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but I want to thank you again, uh, Dr. Dute, for coming on. Uh, this was awesome. This was uh, our second recorded episode. We'll definitely be having you on for some more discussions with regards to prostate cancer and some other topics. Can you give us a, a little, our listeners, uh, some information on where they can uh, get more information uh, on you uh, and, and find you online? Sure. So uh, at Twitter at Michael Adut, MD, uh, you can also find me on my cancer page and all, all platforms on Michael Adut, MD. And then also my YouTube uh, channel is called uh, cancer better. And there you'll find information where I kind of go into the scientific research that, uh, you know, is kind of paywalled for a lot of people, unfortunately. And I just walk you through it and I say, Hey, this is what the science shows. This is why this is better than this. And just help people understand it. Uh, Cause I don't believe that this uh, knowledge should be sort of paywalled, especially with something as important as cancer. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic resource. We highly recommend uh, all of our listeners go check it out and subscribe. It, it, it's it's really awesome. I send my patients there because I think it's a, it's a really great resource. Um, and so we want to thank you again. Um, to all our listeners, you can always find us on our socials at The Man Up Pod. You can uh, download, subscribe uh, on Spotify, iTunes, uh, as well as uh, Amazon. Uh, give us a review. Five stars is always, always appreciated. Uh, Kevin, what's our website? Our website is www.themanuppod.com. All right, for Kevin, Dr. Adud and I, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one.